Well, what's up, everybody, and welcome to week four of On Mission with Jesus. This year, we are a church that is on mission or on a mission, and ours is simple. I'll catch you up if you don't know it yet. This year, in 2021, we want to relaunch Momentum, not just reopen it. Our goal is to relaunch our church into our city in its most beautiful and bright form ever. We're not a group of people who are waiting for our church to open. We are a group of people with a mission in mind to relaunch our church in this new year. The why is simple. If you want to know why, for us, we have a gospel opportunity. We have the opportunity to seize this setback and make it a set up where we reintroduce our church to people who are far from God. There's all this space right now and all this margin, and we're going to use it to get creative creative and figure out how to reach out to people who haven't met Jesus yet. Secondly, we want to reintroduce and refresh our church. We want to reintroduce this church in not, not in tired form, not in wore out form, but a refreshed form of momentum. And so we're seizing this opportunity to retrain, refocus, reclarify our vision and go back into ministry more functional and healthy than ever. And then finally, for all of us on this journey, we're going to experience deeper faith and tighter bond. Here's what I know. I see it in the pages of scripture. I've seen it in over 15 years of ministry. Anytime a group of people go on mission with Jesus together, the byproduct is their faith grows and they grow closer together. So guys, that's what we're after. That's where we're going. And we've called this series On Mission with Jesus because Jesus himself lived a life of purpose and intention. Jesus lived focused and on mission. As his followers, we're going to follow him this year in our mission to relaunch momentum in 2021. Now, as we begin, I want to start with a statement. The statement itself is agreed upon by Jesus followers. It's been agreed upon through all of church history. You know what? The interesting thing, the fascinating thing about the statement is it's even been agreed upon by university professors in secular universities. It's simply this. Everywhere Jesus went, lives were lifted, light shined in darkness, and salvation was found. Everywhere Jesus went, lives were lifted, light shined in darkness, and salvation was found. This is just the way it was with him. But I want to ask you a question as we begin. What if we put your name in the sentence? I want you to imagine this with me. What if there was a little blank right here, and we put your name there? And we said, everywhere Antonio went, Lives were lifted, light shined in darkness, and salvation was found. Everywhere Nadine went, lives were lifted, light shined in darkness, and, and salvation was found. Everywhere Dustin, or Melba, or, or you, whatever your name is, just slide it into the blank and say, what would it be like if that was true of me? What would it be like if at the end of your days, you were laying in a casket at the front of a church building or a church chapel, and the room was filled with people who have encountered you through your life. Somebody you love, maybe your son or your daughter, walked up to the microphone and said, You guys, I got to tell you about my dad. He was a hard worker. He was an incredible provider. He's taught me so much about how to live and work. But I'll tell you the thing I love most about him. Everywhere he went, lives were lifted, light shined in darkness, and salvation was found. What would it be like if at the end of your life, 
your daughters got up to speak about the life you live. And they said, my, my mom was fun, creative. She worked so hard to give us a good life. But the thing we love most about mom is everywhere she went, lives were lifted, light shined in darkness, and salvation was found. And then after those loved ones spoke, dozens of people came up to that microphone and shared from their lives how you did just that. You lifted them, you shined, and through your love they found salvation. What would that be like? Hold on to that for a minute. I want to take you to a story in Scripture. We're going to go into Luke's gospel. Luke was this writer that followed the story of Jesus to its origin. He researched it carefully. And he's going to write in chapter 19 about somebody you may have heard of. If you've been around Jesus for even just a little bit, maybe you've heard the story of Zacchaeus. Now, as we go into the story, I want to give you a new viewpoint. The preaching legend and theologian, Dr. Fred Craddock, said this of Luke's gospel writings. The great writer, Dr. Luke, composed a writing, a writing similar to a modern-day documentary. He had me right there. I don't know what's in your Netflix history, but I love documentaries. I love learning new things, and I love great stories. And a documentary just blends those two passions of mine. You learn about a great story or something that has unfolded. And Craddock points out that Luke's gospel functions the same way. He says, the subject of the, doc the documentary is Jesus. Dr. Luke looks at the life of Jesus and the unique mission he had to bring hope to outsiders from various angles. But here's the cool part. However, every now and then he turns the camera around to view the lives of the very people that Jesus, in fact, came for. And that's exactly what we see in Zacchaeus' story. Now, I'll start off for you. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you haven't. Luke 19, verse 1 says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, let me give you the background on Zacchaeus. He's an outsider. He's not a person of faith. As a matter of fact, he's the kind of outsider that it's publicly acceptable to hate. He is the tow truck. He owns the tow truck company that has the tow trucks that pursue patrol crowded neighborhoods at night, grabbing cars and hauling them off right at the 7 p.m. deadline. He's the title loan officer in a low-income community who profits off the misfortune of others. Shoot. In our neck of the woods, he's the HOA director that you just can't stand. Now, I don't have time to get into Zacchaeus' entire hustle, but I could tell you a few things about him. This is what we know. He's wealthy. He's despisable. But he knows his life is missing something. He's wealthy. He's despisable. And at the same time, he knows his life is missing something. How do we know that about Zacchaeus? We know it because we find him in this story up in a tree. We find Zacchaeus 
looking for Jesus. We don't know how he heard, but Zacchaeus hears that hope in human form is coming through town. That love and salvation with flesh is walking through the neighborhood and he wants to get a view of Jesus. Which brings us to mission movement number one. Now this is foundational in our series here and to us as a group of people who are replanting a church in 2021. The mission movement, number one, is simply this. People are often more hungry for God than we realize. Oh, I know there's so much buzz in uh, mainstream media and other places about how Christianity is a thing of the past or you could go into Hollywood and watch the various critiques and criticisms of Christian values. Oh, don't get it twisted. People are more hungry for God than we realize. I mean, the statistics bear it out. I could start right there. Faith statistics state even right now, 89% of Americans still believe in God. 80% of Americans say they would visit a church if a friend invited them. Globally, Christianity is growing faster than the total population growth of earth. The evangelical and Pentecostal denominations seem to be growing the fastest and are still accelerating. And global percentage of atheists is decreasing right now. Now go to American statistics and check in on our well-being. Only one-third of Americans are getting enough sleep or sleeping well. 46% of Americans will experience mental health issues. We still have a 50% divorce rate. 189 million households, over a third of the U.S. population, is carrying over $8,000 in credit card debt. And stress is a factor in 75% of visits to primary care physicians. Now, contrast these two things. There is a growing hunger for the things of God, and at the same time, a decrease in our overall well-being. This leaves a culture hungry for something different. People are more hungry for God than we realize. We just need to know what to listen for. See, I think you've gathered this by now. When people are hungry for God, they don't walk through the workplace going, boy, oh boy, I'm craving something more. If only there was a first century Jewish rabbi turned God who died on a cross for me. They don't say, say things like that. They don't go walking through town. As a matter of fact, when people are hungry for God, they say things that tend to bother us. That guy in your work environment who walks into every room and around new people or existing people, always figures out a way to work his achievements and accolades into the conversation even though no one asks. That's the sound of somebody who's hungry for God. The woman in the workplace or that you bump into from time to time who just wishes her husband would engage is somebody who's hungry for God. The student who's uttered the phrase, I'm tired of all the drama, I wish I had some real friends. Oh, that's the words, that's the sound of someone who's hungry for God. We see Zacchaeus in the same place. Let's go back to the story. Luke 19, verse 5, it says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. If you're the son of God, it's okay and acceptable to invite yourself over to somebody else's house for dinner. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, now this is in his house later, 
Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. There it is. Lives are lifted. Light shines in darkness. And salvation is found. Those last words of Jesus say, is Jesus proclaiming, this man has a seat at my table. He belongs to me. He was lost. He's found now. This is salvation. You guys, I love this, but at the same time, this passage is troubling to me. I love it because it's a great story of Jesus reaching out and including the outsider in his kingdom. The only thing that kills me is we don't know what happened in that house. It says Zacchaeus come down, they go into the house, we don't know what happens, and then all of a sudden Zacchaeus is saved. I'll tell you something, I have this list of Jesus moments that I'm going to watch uh, uh, whatever the Netflix is in heaven. I'm just going to work it out with the Lord. I have to see some of this stuff. I'm going to watch some video in heaven. And, you know, I got a running list. I've probably got a top five. I mean, the resurrection, no brainer. When those people show up and talk to, you know, when the angels show up and announce that Jesus is being born, that's on there. But honestly, this isn't my top five because I got to know what happened in that house. I got to know what went down behind those doors because we don't know. That's the thing. We don't know what went in there. We don't know if Jesus, you know, talked to Zacchaeus about his childhood and his past and some unresolved issues he had. And when he saw that Jesus resolved the issues, he changed. We don't know if Z just spilled his guts and Zacchaeus looked at him and he goes, well, Z, how's life working for you? And Zacchaeus said, it's not. And Jesus said, let me show you another way. We don't know if his sin, shame and failure came up and brushed up against unconditional love in human form. That would be my guess. But we don't know. We don't know what happened in that house, but we can still walk out of that house full of meaning. You got to follow me because to get there, we got to do a little Jesus algebra. We got to do a little biblical math here. Here's what we do know. This is my equation. We're going to do some algebra and we got to solve for this blank right here. B plus something equals salvation. Brokenness plus something that happened in that house equals salvation. Brokenness went in, salvation came out. What happened in between? Here's the thing, we don't know. We don't know the conversation, we don't know the strategy, we don't know what happened, we don't know who was there. We know one thing though, and it's the only thing we can accurately deduce in this passage, and it's simply this, Jesus was in that house. And that gives us a really simple form, formula the, the, that we got to unearth today in this passage. It's simply this, brokenness plus Jesus equals salvation. When brokenness rubs up against the presence of Jesus Christ, salvation happens. In other words, to take you way back to the beginning of the series, mission movement number two is simply this, Jesus saves. Here we are again. This was the beginning. This is our foundation. And this will continue throughout this series because we as a group of church planters have to get our heads around this. Jesus saves. It's as simple as that. Jesus saves. 
We don't know what happened in this house. We don't know how it all went down. But what we can safely say is this. Jesus saves. You guys, this is the motive for our mission. This is why. Why replant? Why not just reopen like my friend's church is doing? Why not just open our doors and get some worship? Why not? Why, why, why are we taking so long? Why all these extra steps? Because we believe wholeheartedly that Jesus saves. And we want to see broken people meet Jesus. We want to see lives lifted, light shine in darkness, and salvation happens. And this is how we're going to get there. Now, it's important to understand this as we go on. This is foundational. This is not a statement where we've put anything in the blank. We don't alter this statement and put my name in there or your name in there. It's not Matt saves. It's not you save. It's not I save. It's not pastor save. It's not worship song saves. It's not charismatic preaching saves. It's not charitable work saves. It's not logic that saves. It's not even church that saves. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who saves. This is so neat because as a staff, we're going through a book called I Once Was Lost. And they talk about just how mysterious and spiritual the salvation process is. In the book, they say this, we cannot create life. It is, it is impossible for us to predict why some of our friends will choose Jesus and why others just won't. We don't know how to change hearts. This lesson has freed us from the modern temptation to view conversion as mostly a psychological phenomenon. An inner event that could just be controlled and manipulated and triggered if we preach the gospel just right, sing worship songs loud enough, and dim the lights at the right time. If conversion were psychological and controllable by humans, we'd be under a lot of pressure to get it done. It is Jesus who saves. Hear me, this is foundational. The only hope for salvation, the only one who saves, is the person of Jesus and his finished work on the cross. That's where hope is found. Now, let me get into the weeds and talk to my practical, functional, pragmatic people. Because I know the question that's already burning your heart. Well, Matt, then what do we do? You're not telling me we just sing songs and float along and this thing's going to happen by itself. I need a plan. I need some go-forward principles. I like strategy and structure. What is it then that we are supposed to do to participate in the process? That's a fair question, and the answer is simple. Here's your job. You embody Jesus. This is mission movement number three. We embody Jesus in the world around us. That's your part to play. If it is Jesus who saves, then my job is simply to get people closer to Jesus. I do so when I allow myself, my life, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I embody Jesus to the world around me. I live the words of Romans 12.1. I love the message. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Take your moments and leverage them. Give them to God. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. You embody Jesus to the world around you. I could tell you like this, just live like a Christian. Now, hear me when I say Christian. I'm not talking 2021 American Christianity. I'm talking Acts chapter 11, the very first time a group of people was referred to as Christians. It was Christianos, 
Christianos is the little word expressed right here. You know what it means? It means little Christs. And it wasn't actually the church that came up with this word. It was the public culture who was looking at these people and saying, man, they're like little Jesuses. It's like this group has embraced a new way of living. There's these Christianos all around. They live like Jesus. They love like Jesus. They rest like Jesus. They include people like Jesus. They're helpful like Jesus. They read scripture like Jesus. They encourage and lift others up like Jesus. That, my friends, is our part to play in the world around us. We embody Jesus. Now, let's go back to the beginning. Everywhere Jesus went, lives were lifted, light shined in darkness, and salvation was found. Now, as your pastor, I want that to be said of you. I want that to be said of me. I want that to be said of momentum. Everywhere momentum went, lives were lifted, light shined in darkness, and salvation was found. How do we get there? We embody Jesus. And I will from this passage, tell you one specific way that we as a community have to do this on the road ahead. I'll go back into this story, and I'll tell you this from Luke 19. It says, He, Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was not coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, highlight it, circle it, underline it, and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus was looking. Remember how we said everywhere that Jesus went, lives were lifted, light shined into darkness, and salvation was found? Everywhere, this wasn't an isolated occasion. Every day, not just on Sundays, all the time, not just, not just in these key moments. This was common for Jesus. And in this passage, we have a clue. We have a clue how to get there if we want this to be said of us as a community and individually. See, Jesus had so many of these moments because he was looking for them. There was a broken man in a tree that day, surrounded by a crowd. But there was one person who saw him, and it was because his eyes were open. Momentum, you want to live this? You've got to live with your eyes open. Spoiler alert, okay? This is, this is just for between, don't tell anyone this, but as we replant, relaunch, revision momentum, we're gonna relook at our heart of the house and cultural values. And one that we have just decided is going to be a part of our community is this phrase here that says, we are about every day, not just Sunday. And what do we mean by that? Sundays are great. I can't wait to get back to Sundays. I can't wait to see you guys. I can't wait to see our kids sing worship songs. I cannot wait. But I know, and you know, that what God is up to is not limited to Sundays. And extending hope and making the world better and brighter, that is a seven-day-a-week mission. Keeping your eyes open for those moments every single day is what it looks like to be a Jesus follower on mission. So momentum today, the challenge is simply this. God is out there calling people to himself. Would you be someone who's looking for those people and your ways to embody Jesus in the world around you? We love you guys. Have a great week. Peace.